0: For all of you adults, we're also going to look at a story in the Old Testament. Not Gideon, but rather Elijah and Elisha. Now remember, I I gave you last time just a a, a silly way, really, to remember who's who, right? So Elijah, Elisha, people oftentimes like, which one was which? And and mix them up in the miracles, because both of them do a lot of miracles, as far as profiting goes. But... Who's first? It's Elijah. Why? Because J comes before S, right? Elijah, Elisha. That's just, look, that's how my mind works, okay? Um, all right, now, here's the deal. <laughs> you should learn how I remember which one is is yin and yang. Uh, just ask him about that one later. It's funny. But anyway, um, so go to 2 Kings 2. 2 Kings 2, we've transitioned now from... From 1 Kings, uh, where we were looking at the life of Elijah. We looked at a couple of different passages there. Now we're going to look briefly here at, at really the end of Elijah's ministry and life. And when we, are, when we come to the end of someone's ministry, that's one thing. When we come to the end of someone's life, that is a more serious thing. And let's look here at 2 Kings... And and I want to say this too, I've been doing something different this summer uh, that I've not done before. And I kind of, we kind of started it really around May is when I really started doing it at the beginning of of my summer, if you will. I know not proper summer, but, um, and that is I've been preparing my sermons in community. So typically I will prepare my sermons, you know, by myself and then ...share them with the community, right? Uh, I've been doing something different, and that is... ...at my small group on Wednesdays, I've been cheating a bit, if you will. <clears throat> and that is, I, I've been gaining the wisdom of others... ...for the sermon I'm going to preach, you know, the next Sunday, right? So, so like this past Wednesday and the subsequent ones... ...I uh, brought this very passage to my small group that meets at ADTRAN at 1130, that's not a commercial, it is, it absolutely is, you're welcome to come help me do my sermon for next week, if you will, um, but I have been, been uh, we've been searching out the scriptures together in in something that, that we call, and it's based on uh, someone else's language here for this, but it's discipled by Jesus, so we just simply do two things with the text, we read it, and then I say to someone that's in the group, I say, summer, pray that Jesus would speak to us from these words that we just read and then we allow him time to speak to us and we tell each other what we think it is that that he's highlighting for us and and it's not a bible study in the normal way I mean you know I've got my friends here to attest to it I'm not the only one teaching uh, in this way truly Uh, we're all hearing from God and then after a little while I'll shut that part of it down and then I'll say you know hey uh, Megan, Jack, would, you, would one of you pray that the Lord would show us now from what He has told us how we can live it out? And they'll pray, and then we'll talk about. And, and now, this is where the teacher in me comes out because, you know, somebody will say, Well, I think I just need to love more. And then I'll, I'll have to take that and say, Now, hang on. We're looking for real application. Who is it? That you need to love. <laughs> you see the difference in, oh yeah, we, it's like my kids, you know, it's like, God is the answer to everything, you know, it's like, no, no, yes, he is, but but I need a specific answer in this instance, and that's what we're looking for, so, so I'm just letting you know here that I've already cheated, and some of what I'm going to say I've already shared at Madison Village with my uh, assisted living uh, friends as well, but some of it is burning on the heart today that I want to share particularly for you. And I want you to experience this text with me. So, so, without scaring anybody, I'll do the prayer. Jesus, teach us from your word now as we look at 2 Kings. Now, this is 2 Kings 2. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from, from you, from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets, which that just simply means there was a band of prophets at these locations. Uh, You know, there there were actually professional prophets in Israel... And in Judah and in every nation, they had professional prophets. They, in some sense, this is a caveat, so forgive me. But in some sense, it was almost like cabinet members in our government, right? So they don't have a, you know, they don't have a particular allegiance to the to the king, other than they are to speak the word of God to him in this instance. Okay, unlike co- cabinet members. <laughs> um, So the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him. So apparently they were being tipped off by the Holy Spirit as well, right? They said, do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master over you, from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, here he goes a third time now. Please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance. So some of that band from each of the locations have now gathered to watch this event unfold. They all have been tipped off that, that the master's leaving. Elijah, the prophet of God. The, the victor at Mount Carmel, remember, over the 450 prophets of Baal. All of that. And then Elijah... Well, 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance... ...as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah, this is verse 8, took his cloak... ...now we've seen that before where he threw it on Elisha. Initially Elisha burned the house down to follow Elijah. So he rolls up the cloak, boom, strikes the water... ...and the water parts one side and to the other... ...till the two of them could go over on dry ground. Verse 9, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha... Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now that is not two times your spirit. Okay, that, this, it's a bit confusing here and it, and it still is to me. But the best way to understand it is to understand it in the sense of being the progenitor of your father's uh, inheritance. Which is to say the progenitor is the one who receives the most. ...is like the choice one. You know, because in the ancient world... it was ...if you had four, five kids like me... ...you don't divide up your inheritance into five... ...into fifths. Instead, you give the firstborn a double portion. That's, that's the whole point here. Ma, the majority of it. Three-fourths of it, if you will. And the rest of it then is dispersed among the others. So, he's not asking for two times... ...to be the, twice the man of Elijah. That's not what he's asking. Instead, he's asking to be the prophet to replace Elijah, to be the true successor. I mean, remember, there's all these other 50 prophets, right? They, they obviously would love some of the spirit of Elijah upon them. And Elisha's request is that he be the one. And he said, but if you do not see me... I'm sorry, but he said, uh, you have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. Uh, but if you do not see me... It shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And fire does separate, doesn't it? Uh, you know, we, we've seen fire before um, where the Lord was appearing to the Israelites in a pillar of fire, for instance. When, he, when Solomon prays fire at Mount Carmel, ...fire to separate what? Baal worshippers from true Yahweh worshippers. So now this chariot with horses of fire and it's on fire... ...swoops down and then he is whirled up, notice... ...in the whirlwind that follows. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Which is to say... I actually looked that up, by the way, and I told you I was going to dig on that a little bit, uh, Summer. We were, we were interested in that, in that phrase. And it actually happens later in 2 Kings concerning Elisha. And so what he is saying is that his father, which, of course, is not biological at all, but rather spiritual. His spiritual father, Elijah, is greater than all of the horses and chariots of Israel. That's what he's saying. And it's then said about Elisha... ...because you'll remember there's this neat story about Elisha... ...where his servant wakes him up one morning and says... ...hey bud, we've got a problem. He's like, what's going on? Of course he already knew because he's a prophet, right? <laughs> and uh, he says, well, we're surrounded by horses and chariots... ...and this massive army, complete 360, surrounded, bro. And it's just us two, and we don't even... ...you're a prophet, so I mean, you, don't even, you can't even carry a gun, you know? It's like in the military, you know, the chaplain doesn't carry a gun... ...now he has a chaplain's assistant that carries a gun... And you would like for that person to shoot straight. But it's like, hey, if you've got a whole army out there, you're probably not in a good situation. And Elisha says, don't worry about it. He's like, don't worry about it, man. I'm worried about it. He says, well, go take another look. And he takes another peek out of the tent. And he sees horses and chariots of angels that are behind the horses and chariots physically present there. And, of course, they're destroyed and they are saved. Beautiful story, but that's what's being said here. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes. Think about this and tore them in two pieces. So he's got a cloak as well because you used a cloak for sleeping, you used a cloak for warmth, but also it was the sign that you were a prophet. It was the regalia that you would have worn to, to basically notify people like, hey, I'm different. I've got camel's hair on, you know. Uh, and I've got this cloak on and and I'm living in the wilderness. At least that was Elijah. Now Elisha actually lives among the people. It's kind of interesting. I, I won't go into the differences there, but but um, he takes his cloak. I mean, that's like taking your sleeping bag and you're good. It's like that's your main item on you. Tears it in half and look what he does. And took the cloak of Elijah. This is 13 that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And that would have, if you're, you know, you're one of the 50 prophets, you're kind of sitting there, is it going to happen? Is, it, is anything going to happen? You know He slaps the water and it's like, did he get it? You know Did he watch it all the way? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Is anybody with me? Are you following the story here? It's like, it's, it's, it's climactic here. And, uh, and when he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. So what is there for us to see here today? And I think the thing that is pressing for us is found in two and two, and that is, and Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Then he later says other places, Jericho, Jordan. But Elisha said, As Yahweh lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. This is the end of Elijah's ministry and life. Like Enoch and Moses before him, nothing would be left of Elijah. There's no tombstone. There's no cloak to speak of now. It's all gone. Remember, Enoch walked with God and was not. In other words, God took him. Just like that, he's walking one day. And just like that, he's with the Lord. Moses, same thing. God says, okay, but you're not going to the promised land. Come up here and die on the mountain. There's a private burial that Jude tells us that even Satan disputed over where the body of Moses was buried. The point is, you're not going to find him. And you're not going to find an artifact because these guys were so great in their time and for what they did in God's story that we would be inclined to worship them. And God says, none of that. It's fascinating that Jesus himself, right? Do we have an article of his? I can tell you, we don't. Now, I know there's clickbait stories out there. You know, we found his cloak and his face on this. And I'll listen. I don't think we'll ever find... I mean, I could be surprised. Lord, forgive me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think we'll ever find something because here's the thing, we'd worship it. If we knew he wore Nike sandals, we'd all be in Nike sandals. If we knew his favorite color was blue, guess what? Christians would always wear blue. You see what I'm saying? I very rarely wear blue on blue, but I did today. And I'm nervous about it, so... Either way, none of these... Great men left a physical marker on the earth. None of them. (laughs) Yet their life and witness still stand today. We're still talking about it today. We're still being, in some sense, led by them today. And it's because they worshipped the true and living God. They weren't in it for themselves they weren't in it for their name, but his name, his kingdom. I'm around it again. As I told you last week, it's, a, it's kind of a favorite quote of mine right now of Zinzendorf's words. He said, preach the gospel, die, and then be forgotten. It never was about the prophet himself, the preacher himself, the teacher herself, the missionary herself. I wonder today, do we have faith like that? Are we devoted to God in this way, no matter the cost? Would we, like Elisha, burn it all down in order to follow him? Would we, like Elisha, even though he still retained his own cloak, tear that cloak and take that of another's? I think that's the Christian call, isn't it? It is one where we decrease and God in us increases. It is a laying down of our life for our friends as He taught us to do. Where are our friends? Is the same kind of question as who is my neighbor? And that question, as we saw a few weeks back, if you remember, really is a question about who. Or what kind of neighbor are you going to be? What kind of friend are you going to be? You see, I think what the Lord has for us in this text today is to see the devotion that Elisha shows to Elijah. Elisha had that kind of faith. He was willing to burn it down, to tear it in two. I mean, again, you tear it a little bit like when you would mourn you just kind of rip it open and then you sew it back up he tears it in two he leaves it on the ground i'm convinced and he takes on that of elijah's mantle and you know what how is the faith passed down it is passed down from generation to generation one generation away from not passing on the gospel that means That it is us that must take up the mantle of those who shared Christ with us... ...who shared the good news of salvation with us... ...the good news of forgiveness with us... ...of God's mercy with us. It is our responsibility now. It's not just, oh, hey, thanks a lot, see you later. Instead, it's thanks a lot, now I'm going to take up the same ministry that you gave to me. The same love that you shared to me, I now share to others... This is the only way to live out the gospel. It's the only way to be a Christian. The Christian life is not one that absorbs and absorbs and absorbs... ...and feeds and feeds and feeds at the table... ...without ever expending the energy. The actions. You see, because devotion... ...devotion is not a nice idea... Devotion is sacrificial love. Devotion is Ken Sori's mom. Who we in our household as I was young, Jackson's age and below, we prayed every single night for Ken Sori. He was a teenager that had his entire life before him that got into an accident and was paralyzed. Paralyzed. And devotion from his mother... ...literally gave him value in life... ...and saved his life. Because when something like that happens... ...friends run. People don't know what to do. But mom took up the mantle... ...if you will, took up as Jesus did on the very night in which he instituted this supper that we're going to celebrate, a servant's towel and knelt down to wash their feet. Which was an absolutely jaw-dropping, symbolic representation of his humility... but also how leadership works in his church. Literally in his body. ...and with His body. It is not for self-promotion. Rather, it is to take upon ourselves... ...the mantle of servanthood for another. And He washes our feet... ...and then He does that rhetorical thing He does... ...and says, do you know what I have done to you? They knew a little bit. Even to this day, we're still trying to understand... ...how the God of the universe... ...just just bear with me real quick... ...the God of of all the galaxies... ...that we've not even yet seen... ...because we can't see out that far yet. That God... ...the God that we should be bowed... ...and prostrate uh, before... ...kneels down... ...bows down... ...before his disciples... What kind of God is this? It's the living God. It's a God that we could have never come up with in our own thoughts. He is not like us. His ways are higher than our ways. And yet, he invites us into his way. And it's going to look different. His devotion... ...to God manifested itself... ...in his devotion to somebody else. And that's the way... ...devotion works. It's like what James reminds us... ...or maybe it's John. If we say that we love God... ...and we don't love the person... ...that we can see... ...how do you know that you love God? You've never even seen him. If you can't live... If you can't love the one who is in the image of God, literally created in the image of God, if you can't love that person, how can you love the three persons of the Holy Trinity? No, we make him a liar. That's what we do. We say we love people, and we never get around to it. Because it remains an idea. But devotion cannot remain an idea. Amen. Not for Kin story. Good thoughts don't help. Not when he, he has to go to the bathroom. Not when he has to go to a doctor's appointment. I'm thinking about you, buddy. Doesn't cut it. Someone disabled doesn't cut it. Someone blind doesn't cut it. What does? Devotion. Devotion. And that is what we as a church must have for the crippled spiritually, the blind spiritually, the deaf spiritually. There's no way they're going to be reached if we do not devote ourselves to them. And they're in your neighborhood, they're at work. Of course, marriage is another sign of devotion. I think we have an anniversary today. Woohoo! Casey and Rachel, right? How many years? 12 years. That's a, that's a symbolic number in the Bible, by the way. It's good. <laughs> marriage. You look at somebody and you say, look, for better, for worse, (laughs) for pocketbook or not, you know, (laughs) Um, I'm yours and you're mine. We got to figure it out. And, you know, there's something beautiful in that and there's something terrifying in that. And yet. We are devoted to one another. No matter. We got to figure it out. And you know what? The, the, of course, greatest devotion of all time is God's devotion to us. Not just our devotion to others, but God's very own devotion of Himself to us. So much so. I I mean, just imagine He's trying to communicate to us how much He loves us. Person after person, He sends prophet after prophet after prophet. And He says, Look, I got to finally come myself. I'm just going to have to show up. Well, they're not going to like that. They're going to kill you. That's okay. I've got to show it myself. And when, when the Son of God... ...the second person of the Holy Trinity... ...becomes incarnate of the Holy Spirit... ...by the Virgin Mary... ...He joins Himself forever with humanity. In other words, the God who is not seen becomes seen. The God who is not us becomes one of us and then ascends back to the Father to sit at the right hand of the Father, which is the seat of power, by the way. And there at the Father's right hand, His very own Son is now one of us. You're telling me He's not devoted to you? You're telling me you're alone? That is the lie of the enemy. No, there's somebody who's the hound of heaven, as one theologian called him and he's not going to let you go. He's devoted to you. But you know, we can we can misplace our devotion. In other words, it, you know, it, it really doesn't help to be devoted just for devotion's sake or devoted to the wrong things. And that happens at times. Uh, I was reading a story a couple years ago and it came to my mind when I was ...when I was preparing this... ...it it was a Japanese soldier... ...Hiru... ...I think that's how you say it... ...Onada... ...and he was... they ...they found him alive... ...in the Philippines... ...and he finally surrendered... ...from World War II in 1974... ...and it took... ...get this... ...they had dropped leaflets... ...they knew he was there... ...and assumed he was probably somewhere... ...hiding in the jungles of the Philippines... ...he had gotten there... What is it, 1944? And he'd been told to wage guerrilla warfare. He did it. He had one one of his guys left and abandoned. Two other guys died. Yet he still remained in the jungles and the caves of the Philippines thinking they were still at war. He had no contact with anybody to let him know that the war was over. And when they did drop leaflets and other things to let him know and people tried to get out there and find him and yell things, he didn't believe it. And they finally called in his superior, his commanding officer, if we will, his master. And he came out in the jungle and gave him command, you are done. (laughs) And he said, okay, well, I'm done. Now that's, that's devotion. But I'm going to tell you, I, I would hate to be devoted to something like that. Something that was already over and refused to believe it. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that sin has been canceled. Like it's over. You don't have to go down that path. He can give you the power to walk straight, upright, holy lives. But we don't believe it. Part of it is we don't want to believe it. Let me tell you, you don't want the master of that lie To confront you. Because it is the devil. That may sound abstract to you. But it shouldn't. There's a reason why temptation comes to us the way it does. In the gorilla like ways that it does. He's not going to jump out and scare you. Boo. Gotcha. There's things more evil than what we can see with our eyes. That lurk in in the caves of our heart. And our hiding and all of that doesn't help anything. You must come out to the light because guess what? He's already won. Can I get an amen from somebody on that? Like, it's one thing that World War II is over. That's great. V Day, woo, you know, all this. But it's a complete, God has won the victory over sin, (laughs) death, and hell. It doesn't have to be for us. It doesn't mean it's the end for us, friend. And man, I'm going to tell you something. That's good news. Because it is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. And let me tell you, I'm glad I'm on the winning team. And it's not by my doing, but Christ's. Praise be to to God. You see, no one, the Bible says, can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted, notice that, to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, God and money. Isn't that interesting? The the follow-up to what Jesus is saying here in his sermon centers on money. And boy... That's something we seem to never have enough of, right? At least in my life. (laughs) I could always seem to use a little more, you know? A little more for comfort's sake or for pleasure's sake or for whatever. And Jesus says, you know what? You need to be completely devoted to me and trust me. And maybe one of the, maybe one of the, you know, you, you use these little tests on yourself, like checking your pulse to make sure you're okay, you know? Maybe one of the biggest test places for a pulse is money. Now, don't think that the church is in need of, you know, like, I mean, of course, we could always use money just like everybody else, right? But here's the reality. We're not going to beg because God is on the throne. He can do whatever he wants. If we if we have to sell this place, we'll do it, whatever it takes. We, we didn't have a building for a long time, <laughs> Right? We have one now. We have some extra costs. But you know what? I'm not worried about any of that. He gave us this place. I figure he'll give us the money we need. But he wants to use you. And maybe one of the best ways to see if we really are devoted to God or devoted to ourself is how we deal with our money. That's not easy for a preacher to say because everybody thinks I get to take home what's in that thing over there. (laughs) I can tell you right now, that ain't true. (laughs) You're like, good, because I didn't put much in there. (laughs) Um, We'll leave it at that. I think you get the point. What do we devote ourselves to? Acts 2.42 says this. Right after after Peter preaches that awesome sermon on the day of Pentecost, the day the church begins, get this, here's what he says, and they devoted themselves to to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Thanks for that song about the tie that binds and the fellowship. That word there for fellowship is koinonia in the Greek. And it's not just any kind of, oh, hey, how's it going? Good. Everything going all right? Yeah. Okay, see you later. It it instead is a tie that binds us. What kind of tie? The Holy Spirit of God. You ever been with with, with a child of God and and your spirit identifies with their spirit that we are one. And, and there's things that are communicated that I could never tell you in words. The feeling I get when I'm with that brother or that sister in the faith. That's koinonia. It's that small group. It's in a band meeting. That's koinonia. And he says, they devote themselves to the apostles teaching. Which is what we recounted in the Nicene Creed. So, we count every single Sunday in the Apostles' Creed. Get it? The Apostles' teaching? To fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Or some translations just, and to prayer. But I think it's actually the prayers because there were written prayers that they would recite. And I think it's good to write out your prayers sometimes. I would challenge you this week just write out a prayer to God. It's one thing to say it extemporaneous kind of off the hip. Lord help me today to do this and that. It's another thing to write it down isn't it? Write it down. Pray by writing it down to God. That's what we should be devoting ourselves to. You know when we do that we'll draw closer to God man, how I want to draw closer to God. I need to. I've got kids that need to go the right path. I've got family members that need me to take up a mantle of servanthood for them and and serve them. Neighbors, co-workers. They're there. And, And this is the way the gospel is shared. It's not shared by... You going to heaven or hell? Okay, good. See you later. Just make sure you pray that sinner's prayer and you'll be good. That's a lie, friend. The only way you're good is if you're in Jesus Christ. Day to day. Devoting yourself to Him. That's why we call it devotions. You've been in your devotions recently. Notice the language. Devotion to God. And we'll draw closer and closer and closer to him. You know, yesterday, I let the boys watch this show uh, that, that you know, I'm starting to question. It. Jessica is going to have to have a talk with me later. That's, that's the point blank of it. She's already told me that late in the night last night. Because multiple times, I, 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 was, I was doing some work late and I'd gone to uh, use the restroom. I came back around and somebody's just sitting on the couch. I'm like, what? you know what are you doing, son? You know, and he started crying. He said this, this show scared him. I was like, well, buddy. So we had this long talk. I walked him upstairs. We prayed. I laid him in the bed, you know. And um, so I, I head on to bed, you know, and all that. And then next thing I know, daddy. I'm like, ah, somebody's just standing by my bed like this, you know. It's like now I'm starting to get scared. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm like, okay, buddy, just, yeah, let's, hey, hey, you're okay. You're okay, you know because now I'm, like, tired, because it's 2 o'clock in the morning. So I lay him down on the couch, and it's like, I'm, I'm just riding the room, buddy, okay? I just, I'm just literally, here's the living room, here's our room, okay? You're good. I promise. I go back to sleep. Next thing I know, I wake up again. Somebody's standing over my bed. Daddy. <laughs> and, uh, of course, I jump again. I'm like, hey, buddy. And I'm trying to be calm, you know, even though I'm not. And uh, and I say, okay, just just get in the bed. Now, Frank, uh, <laughs> not, not my, my Frank, I called my son Baylor Frank, okay? Let's just get that out there, it was Baylor, uh, cats out of the bag, don't tell him, okay, he's not in here, um, but I'm like, just get in bed with me, buddy, now, as you know, or some of you may know, Blakely sleeps with us anyway, so it's Jessica, Blakely, now Baylor, which he's huge, he's a giant, you know, now, and like me now, curled up on the end, I'm like, oh, great, it's four, it's, I think it was like 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and so I'm like, this is going to be a great night, I have a thing that tracks my sleep, by the way, and this morning, it was like this, <laughs> Like an EKG machine, is that what those are called? The, the ones that track your heartbeat, you know? It, would never, it never was a flat line, which it should be, you know? Anyway, and, and, I, and this morning I saw them all lay, lying there, and, and I went into study um, early, and the Lord was like, You know, when you're fearful or anxious or scared, you just want to be near somebody. It, it doesn't change the situation, it doesn't change your thoughts. It doesn't make things right, but you just want to be near someone, right? And and Baylor did this subsequent thing last night where, where he had me come up there and tell him he was okay. That wasn't enough. And then he had to come downstairs to get in proximity to me, and that wasn't enough. He had to be physically touching me in the bed, and he was finally able to sleep and rest. And you know, the Lord was like, Don't you want to be close to me? Don't you need to be close to me? This world's a dangerous place. Don't just take somebody's word for it, my word for it today. Seek him. Draw close to him. And he will draw close, just like I did with my Baylor, and he will draw close to us. Do you believe that? Because I think he's devoted to us in the way that I'm devoted to my sons and my daughter times a million he's longing for us to crawl in the bed with him, so to speak, and rest. Just rest. Knowing that dad's got it okay. No matter what monster's out there, dad can take care of it. I need my heavenly father like that. And I think you do too. He is devoted to you. He is never going to leave you. One of the last things Jesus says is this in John 14 to his disciples. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And he does it by his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you help us to walk in your ways, in the way of Jesus. Help us not be blind. Help us to have faith. Help us to devote ourselves to you every day and then turn around and devote ourselves to others. That's where eternal life is found. Never turn back. Never look back. Tear the clothes in half and put on your righteousness, your new life. For the Lord God will help me, Isaiah says, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Stay where I am. Heck no, I'm getting out of my bed, and I'm going to devote myself to my Father in heaven, and I'm going to draw closer and closer and closer to him until I receive that final rest, until we all cross the Jordan symbolically into our true home. Why don't you come and join me on this walk? In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.